The sports world has been greening itself for most of the century, but despite these efforts, most fans have no idea. That changes now. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. Hosted by Lou Blaustein, Green Sports Pod highlights the successes, challenges, and opportunities to green the games we love to watch and play, and give you the chance to hear from the athletes who are taking positive environmental actions. Learn more and subscribe to the show today at greensportsblog.com. Hi there, I'm Lou Blaustein, and welcome to a very special edition of Green Sports Pod, as we celebrate both Earth Month and the third birthday of Ecoathletes, the nonprofit that inspires and coaches athletes to lead climate action. Now, the reason it is special is that Ecoathletes strategic advisor, Patches Magaro and I have the pleasure of talking to the fourth and newest inductee into the Ecoathletes Hall of Fame, and that is United States Senator Cory Booker, Democrat of New Jersey. Welcome, Senator Booker, to the Ecoathletes Hall of Fame and to this chat. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here, especially because the whole conception of this is something that inspires me because for great movements in our country's history, athletes and artists have been at the center. You know, my parents told me stories about the civil rights heroes, many of them who were athletes who understood their power and I believe their responsibility. Well, you are now among them in this growing movement of getting athletes who are the most influential people on the planet to come off the sidelines on climate. And you are joining a group of three Hall of Famers already, Dr. Alan Hershkowitz, who is a godfather of the green sports movement, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, who is a climate scientist and the greatest climate communicator I've ever heard, and then Lee Steinberg, agent, super agent really, to quarterbacks, from Troy Aikman to Patrick Mahomes, who has now become a climate advocate. So those are your fellow nominees. And thank you for joining us today. And now, Patches, take it away. Well, this is special for me because I'm usually dealing with Senator Cory Booker as Cory, my husband's best friend. My official title is Best Friend's Girl. I have known Corey for over 30 years because he and my husband have been best friends since fourth grade. And I just to give you an idea of how competitive this senator who's known for his diplomacy and his empathy started in fourth grade, my husband's first day of school, Corey came up to him and said, hi, my name's Corey. We need to race so I can see if I'm still the fastest kid in the grade. And then he did win. He was still the fastest kid in the grade, and they've been best friends. He's been the best band of my wedding, godfather of my daughter. And the exciting thing for my husband, although Corey went on to Stanford, Yale, Rhodes Scholar, to watch my husband brag about his high school football career is such a sight, such a prideful thing for him. And he had a front seat for kind of a circus. Corey was Gatorade Player of the Year, and let me say, run through the things that my husband's an an All-American, and one of the reasons I think he's where he is today is another story my husband loves to tell is being in the kitchen the day that Corey was Gatorade Player of the Year, telling his mom, hey, mom, I'm Gatorade Player of the Year, and she said, that's nice. How'd you do on your algebra quiz? (laughs) Quiz! Not even a test! (laughs) 
So that gives you an idea of the kind of household that brought up this super awesome human being that I'm very happy to call a friend. So why don't you tell us what happened since then, where sports took you? I am where I am because of sports. And I often joke I got into Stanford because of 4.0 yards per carry, 1,600 receiving yards my senior year in high school. But it opened doors to me to an academic experience I just wouldn't have. And I still remember even back then when I was a recruit, I used to always say football is going to be my ticket, not my destination necessarily, but it's going to give me opportunities beyond that, which might be possible without it. And so, so much of my leadership, so much of my understanding of teams, so much of my understanding of the virtues that come through competition and the quest to excel were forged on the football field. And I'm just grateful for it, including just running organizations. To see Denny Green and Brian Billick come in and take over the Stanford operation and see the level that they were able to raise our, not just our performance on the field, but just organizational strength was a great learning experience to me as a 19, 20, 21 year old and just open up a lot of opportunities. And I'll tell you, obviously, when I finished Stanford, I went on to Oxford on a road scholarship. I just, that would not have happened without football. And the momentum I had academically was something that enabled me ultimately to start my career in Newark, New Jersey, where I'm sitting right now. So Patch, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm blessed. The song I get by with a little help from my friends, I fly with a lot of help from my friends. And I had a great community to grow up in And I'm just blessed that sports still is a major fixture in in who I am. Well, I kind of zoned in on team right there. And for something as big as the climate movement, to change the way we power our our lives is going to take an incredible team effort within the United States and beyond. When did you first get passionate about climate and what drove that? So look, my father was this guy who looked at me in all these you know degrees He's like boy you got more degrees in the month of july but you ain't hot life ain't about the degrees you get it's about the service you give and i was raised by two civil rights activists parents who i knew by the time i was a teenager that i needed to be a part of the fight for justice in our country and so i decided when i was about 26 27 to move into a low income really tough neighborhood where people don't mistake wealth with worth, where you saw the greatness of humanity all around you, but conditions compounded upon challenges, compounded upon problems that just were seemingly to people coming from the outside overwhelming. And I started working in those communities and I still live in that same neighborhood today, but I quickly learned the issues that were driving me from criminal justice reform to economic justice issues I began to see that interwoven in this fabric of injustice, interconnected in powerful ways, was environmental issues. And in this case, environmental injustice. You know, most people don't realize our cities are heat islands. Our cities have kids often with four times the asthma rates than suburban children, that my kids were dealing with toxins in their water, in their air, literally told not to plant in the soil behind their homes because it's so full of toxins. And all of these systems, from our food systems to the environment, climate change people talk about as a future problem. Well, the real present crisis in communities like Newark were seen in the kids' that were literally dying. Most people don't understand that a black kid versus a white kid in America with asthma, that black kid is 10 times more likely to die 
of asthma complications. And so I began to realize when I was coming up in politics as a city council person and then a mayor that you can't have the American dream without it being a green dream and that the climate urgencies, the environmental justice urgencies in low-income areas, in black and brown communities was dramatic. In fact, the number one indicator of whether you live around a toxic Superfund site, these worst toxic environmental disasters, is the color of your skin. And so I found myself becoming, as a mayor, a national sort of environmental activist, not because of some penguins far away, I'm an animal lover and fight for these refuges, but really about what's happening in communities like the one I'm sitting in now. In fact, yesterday, a head of forestry come into Newark because I was able to fight to get about $1.4 billion for urban tree planting. And trees in urban areas help to pull carbon out of the air, but they also clean the air and do a lot of healthy things for communities. And in fact, that kind of climate activism has multiple levels of wins. It creates jobs in communities. It deals with the heat island effects. It helps with water management because impermeable surfaces allow all of this water. It has so many different types of impact to communities, ultimately inuring to the benefit of health. In fact, more trees are correlated with less violence as well. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's something that I had never realized. And you're always a step ahead of me. You're always teaching me something. I think both. that's equal, Patch. Well, one of the things that you were ahead of me on was your path to being vegan. And then I had also seen an inconvenient truth and found out about the carbon footprint of meat and dairy products. So I don't know if I am sure what role sustainability may have played in your path to veganism and also update us on what you are working on in the Senate as far as agriculture, health, and our planet. Well, I just want to say I love being in a forum with athletes. My pathway to being a vegetarian in 1992 was an athletic one. I was actually competing on the varsity team at Oxford. We won the national championship. So technically, I'm the only national champion basketball player in the United States Congress right now. It was a British national championship. A good high school JV team could have beaten us, but in England, we were <laughs> and, and I was still working on what could get me closest to high performance. And I had read these books and I decided just to do it as an experiment. Within a month of being a vegetarian, it felt like I had a weight lifted off of me. My performance jumped, my sleep improved, my recovery after workouts improved. And it's wonderful now to see how many athletes, Olympic athletes, from power lifters to quarterbacks are going towards a vegan diet. So for me, the gateway into doing a lot of reading about diet and health was athletic performance. But then I started seeing this shocking preponderance of the evidence about not the way we imagine cows being raised, pigs being raised, but industrial factory farming and all that goes into it. It is one of the primary sources of global greenhouse emissions and drives so much environmental injustice in our country. If you go to Duplin County, North Carolina, and see where big multinational conglomerated corporations run their operations. And you see these poor contract farmers stuck in this almost sharecropping-like environment where they're raising pigs in these big warehouses where all the pig filth goes into through grates into massive lagoons of pig feces that then are sprayed on spray fields and end up, I remember going into this black community and it, the stench 
was powerful. You have people that come forward and tell you they can't open their windows. They can't run their air conditioning. They can't put their clothing on the lines. They have respiratory diseases. All this injustice involved in this factory farming movement that has a powerfully bad effect on our climate. And remember, methane is significantly more contributive towards climate change than the carbon we often talk about. And so now what I know about our food systems, I don't want to just live the, be the change uh, in many ways. And again, you don't need to be a vegan, but understanding where your meat is coming from, reducing the amount, which our health experts say that we should be doing anyway. The reality is we just need to start focusing on climate solutions that are involved with our agricultural systems that, again, ultimately can create win-win-wins. And I'll give you the example. I just gave a, a talk to a new coalition that's emerging between farmers themselves who want to raise organically or regeneratively, between medical professionals who see that the number one killer of Americans is diet-related diseases. Half of our population in America is diabetic or pre-diabetic. There are food workers, farm workers. There are family experts. It was an amazing coalition, including animal welfare people, who are all coming together to say this food system has to stop. And government, we, with our tax dollars, are driving these horrible systems. Did you know most of our ag subsidies go to the things we tell people not to eat, highly processed sugar-filled foods, only 7% go to fruits and vegetables. And so I'm one of the champions in the Senate for climate solutions in agriculture, empowering our farmers to do things that draw more carbon down, not killing the land with chemicals that creates dirt, not soil. Soil is one, like the oceans, is a great sink for carbon that stop putting as much into the air. There are ways that farmers and our food system could lead us out of this crisis that is something we should be talking about. But because those food systems, you can't get climate justice without it impacting our health physically and the foods we eat. All of this is tied together. And it's not just a sacrifice. I want everybody to be free to eat whatever you want. If you want the big sugary slushy with the Happy Meal, great. But we should not be subsidizing the systems that drive our disease the systems that overuse antibiotics and that are causing potential, in fact, about 30,000 Americans die every year from antibiotic-resistant drugs. We shouldn't be funding the systems that drive climate change and don't help us to solve climate change. We should be putting together our ag subsidies and other incentives for the kind of things that are going to solve these problems across the board. Because what we eat is linked to so much else when it comes to our life and lifestyle, from our climate to our physical health, to the conditions of animals, to the conditions of food workers and farmers. So it's win, win, win. Win, 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 win. Yes. So, I mean, this is so sensible, but I also know it's not easy. So pivoting back to athletes, athletes have done things in terms of leading on social issues for decades and decades that are not easy. Go back, Muhammad Ali and the Vietnam War. Arthur Ashe. Arthur Ashe, Billie Jean King. You, there's a laundry list of issues that she's led on, and she's still doing it. And now in the present day, Colin Kaepernick, Megan Rapino, and this is just US-centric. There are others all around the world. But on climate, Athletes have mainly stayed on the sidelines, including those who are environmentally minded and active. And I asked them why. And three objections keep coming up. It's too sciencey. It's too political. And I'm going to get hammered on social media for being a hypocrite because my carbon footprint is through the roof 
because I have to fly all over the place for my sport. What would you say to them to help get them off the sideline? Oh my gosh. Well, look, I have millions of people who follow me on social media. Nothing like these athletes though, who have tens of millions of folks. And I was looking at one of the videos we put up on all our social media platforms yesterday. It's gotten hundreds of thousands of views, just educating people about things, not being judgy, but hey, did you know that only 7% of our ag subsidies go to the things we're supposed to be eating the majority of? If you educate yourself and find creative ways to post or put things in your stories that other people are posting, you're expanding consciousness. The great thing about, again, I grew up with civil rights parents, so they told stories of how artists and athletes used their fame and their notoriety to prick the moral imagination prick the consciousness of our country and expand that moral imagination. So what I would tell everybody to do who has these powerful platforms that they post on, that they scroll through, is to educate yourself on the issues, not in a judgmental way. I tell people all the time, I get very vulnerable on my social media platforms about my own struggles. Be real. Educate yourself about the issues. Push those that information out. You will never know how much of a change you're making. And by the way, to come out and say, hey, I've got an issue with my own personal carbon footprint because I travel a lot. So I'm therefore thinking of ways that I can reduce it. Did you know that if I cut out one burger, that's like a thousand gallons of water or whatever it is. Did you know that if I just reduce this, it has this impact? These are things I'm thinking about. You could think about them too. Putting facts out there, talking about your own journey, talking about your own struggle. That's what the great thing. Muhammad Ali was not a perfect character, but he was willing to take risks for the cause of his country. Amen. And eco-athletes champions listening to this, you've got the marching orders and we are here to help. And last question, because I know you got to go, Senator Booker, what does it mean to be an eco-athletes champion Hall of Famer? Ah, it's humbling. (laughs) Look, I cannot tell you what it means to be recognized as even an athlete these days. I was on a plane during the midterm elections and people recognize me all the time. I, you know, wish Patches a happy Mother's Day. I feel like she should wish me a happy Mother's Day because people see me get sometimes angry. You mother, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So I sat down next to this mom and daughter, 60 and 80, from Alabama. And they see people recognizing me and saying nice things. And they're like, who are you? are you a professional athlete? And I go, well, ma'am, I could be. (laughs) Um, I go, go, no, I'm a United States Senator. And immediately they wanted to know what tribe I'm in. It's American, we're becoming so tribal. They're like, are you a Democrat or a Republican? And I go, ma'am, I'm I'm a Democrat. And she looks sour and angry. And immediately she goes, I should have brought my Trump hat. And I don't want to play that record. Climate And a lot of these issues are not as divisive as people think they have to be. So when she says that, I look at her and I go, Donald Trump, he signed two of my biggest bills into law, one dealing with criminal justice reform, the other about getting investments into communities like this. And I opened up a dialogue. You do not have to attend every argument you're invited to. I found a way to connect to them on a human level without taking the bait to divide us. By the end of the conversation, we were sharing spirit, sharing stories, and agreeing that there's a lot of things we agree on. You are an athlete. You have this ability to talk to people on both sides of the political aisle. For you to recognize me as a Hall of Fame member, it gives me this reminder that all of us, whether you're an athlete, a senator, an activist, we all are 
part of a larger story together. We will not be awarded whatever because of how much we hate other people. We rewarded ultimately by how much of a positive force we can do in fixing things. And the little bit that I'm contributing in my very short journey on this planet, I feel blessed. But I know, as you said, we'll return to the end, to the beginning where we started. I am so much more powerful, not alone, but when I join with other teams. And I feel blessed now that I'm a part of this eco-athlete team and that together we could do things that not just make a difference, but perhaps could help save our planet for others who are coming in future generations. Well, amen, Patches. Fantastic. And welcome to the team, Senator Booker. It is our pleasure to have you. And we will be in touch over time as eco-athletes grows and our influence of our champions grows, because I could see potential ways of working together. Yes, our eco-athletes champions who now number 117, including Six from the State University of New Jersey, Rutgers. Yes. And one from Stanford. All right. <laughs> thank you thank all you so much. much. I love you, Patches. It's good to see you, Lou. Thank you so yeah. much. Shake your head completely, man. Come on. Join. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's a whole nother interview. <laughs> thank you so much, Senator Booker. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye now. Take care. You've been listening to Green Sports Pod, hosted by Lou Blaustein. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And head on over to greensportsblog.com, the source for news and commentary at the intersection of green and sports. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Green Sports Pod. Green Sports Pod.